0: You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.
1: Good morning, and welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. It's now time for Media Matters with Marty Gibson and myself, of course. Good morning, Marty.
0: Morning, Marie. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very, very well, and I saw you as you got prepped for this. You're drowning under a weight of newspaper, as I am.
0: It's kind of like a whole lot of um, pages of newspaper that all say the same thing, almost.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: You know, I was thinking about voting for New Zealand first, but just with John Key saying it's maybe not a good idea and all these other people telling me not to, maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't.
1: <laughs> well, you've already voted, so you um, yeah. Well.
0: Well, yeah, that's actually I forgot all about that. Well, I guess I can't change my mind now.
1: <laughs> I have never seen anything like this before.
0: Well, it's funny because when you're an oppositional character, where if, if someone tells you to do something, there's an impulse in you to go, you know what? Go you can't understand why everyone else isn't the same way. And, and much less how effective it is on so many people to say, oh, we might cut you out of the head. Oh no, anything but that. I think it was the
1: Curia Taxpayers poll that really set the cat amongst the pigeons. So that poll he came back at six point nine percent, New Zealand first, mm. the highest that we've seen so far. I mean, they've had, you know, there was the the Souson of panic once he breached the 5%, but there was lots of that, oh, but it's not really going to happen or it may not happen. Now that his numbers keep tracking up, and it's really only New Zealand First and the Greens that are doing this, the panic has now set in. Labour had no policy to campaign on anyway, so for them this is just easy fodder, and they may stop some of these centrist voters leeching across to New Zealand First. But Christopher Luxon really... Really? I mean, what did him and Chris Bishop think that they were doing? Did they have a little beer of a night and decide, oh, this is a good idea?
0: Yeah, it's really, really hard to say, isn't it? I still can't quite work that one out. But, I mean, I was talking to someone about Luxon the other day, and he, he is kind of like a middle manager. You know, he's got his party lines that he trots out. He's also like someone who's, you know, when you just start out in sales, and you're not very good at it, and you tend to talk about features, even though you try and remember that features tell and benefits sell, and you're handing your brochures out to people because you can't sell, and you're being really obsequious and nice because you think, well, maybe if they'll like me, they'll buy off me. I think that's uh, where we're at with him. And as I mentioned the other week, I'm seeing the perhaps the, the real Christopher Luxon starting to come out now, and that Christopher Luxon... Wants power over people, and he's been pushed hold, you know, pushing it down. Mm. keep it hidden, but he can smell smell the precious.
1: Mm, he can smell the precious, and uh, obviously, they've rolled out John Key. They've set this narrative in motion that you can't trust Winston, that it'll be eight weeks without a decision. All of these things. I mean, gaslighting up the wazoo, I have to say, when yeah. you're, you're exactly right. He can smell the precious, but ultimately he's gone to the pub. All his mates have gone home and the best looking girls in the bar and he's standing in the corner. He's had one too many drinks. Things got a little bit foggy. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's standing is that cougar in a pinstripe miniskirt in the corner looking at him oh, winking. We've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> and he knows that he's going to have to get into bed with it.
0: Well, you know, there's worse things that can happen.
1: Well, yeah, look, <laughs> I just could not get over. I could not get over moving along. I could not get over, is again, the game of column inches. Winston ruled all the weekend papers. He's ruled a lot of the information before and prior. I just did a quick tot-up, and this is even before getting into the post, but Sunday Star Time, Herald on Saturday, and Herald on Sunday – uh, Vernon Small, Andrea Vance, Tracy Watkins, Heather Duplicy Allen, Chanel, who just regurgitated a story from the week before, Shane Depo, Liam Dan, Fran O'Sullivan, Stephen Joyce, Claire Trevitt twice, Adam pierce All they could talk about in one form or another was Winston.
0: Yeah, it's like someone uh, punched into chat GPT, write uh, this story in the style of, then all the names you've just reeled off. Mm. They never cut to the Part of, of what's actually bringing people to them. I mean, there's all of this endless talk about what your vote says about you. Comes back to that survey of people's psychology divided by voters and New Zealand First voters less likely to believe in climate change. I mean, who doesn't believe in climate change? I'll pick this apart a little bit the climate changes. It's not a matter of not believing in climate change. It's a matter of not believing that anthropogenic CO2 is the primary driver of climate change, and we can let bankers conduct some complex financial wizardry that creates a lot more public debt and will somehow solve it. That's what we're skeptical about. That you know maybe it's not a good idea. And Winston puts the figure at fifty to sixty billion dollars. This decade. And, uh, you know, I've seen figures, estimates of 70 billion. I think about opportunity cost for that. That's what I'm skeptical about. Now, I'm not saying that uh, anthropogenic CO2 isn't a driver of climate change, but it's 3% of 0.04%. Anthropogenic CO2 is 3% of the atmospheric CO2. And that's before we even get to how, over the past two decades, the world's greened by 15%. A lot of areas that were uh, desert have greened up at the margins of deserts where we were told, well, those deserts are going to expand. The opposite's happened. That's the first point about the climate change. The government health advice. Let's look at that, shall we? So we're less likely to believe government health advice. Now, the government health advice, it's now, hey, maybe you should try taking this just in the hope that we'll forget it was, you're going to take this! Yeah, I wouldn't count on government health advice to keep me healthy. Let's let's just say that. And I think the evidence is pointing in that direction. And the fact that the media aren't examining that evidence, yeah, does make me somewhat. I'd say I fit that bill too. Or that sexual or gender minorities have been discriminated against. Undoubtedly, they probably probably have. A while ago, I wouldn't say so much now. It's the same if you um, deviate from the norm in any way. There's that's just all part of the herd mentality, I guess. But that's what gives you your edge, darlings. That's what gives you your sparkle. You don't want to be like everyone else. And as I've said before, much as uh, it's it's not my scene, I would certainly uh, help you out if you're getting hassled by someone. So you know, let's not conflate my not thinking it's a great idea to teach my seven and eight year old kids all about it or have. Men dressed as women reading them stories in libraries. I, uh, yeah. I don't think you should conflate it with my, uh, with any genocidal urge on my part. Let's see what else have we got? Uh, more given to believing conspiracy theories. Very difficult to know what you're talking about here. Are we talking about? Do I believe? It's worth discussing that sometimes groups of really powerful people get together and discuss things they might do which are in their advantage and not necessarily other people's, yes, I believe that. So, yep, guilty with that one too. It's always interesting that there's a lot of airy discussion about conspiracy theories, but not a lot about what they are or why they're wrong. That always bothers me because I'm all ears to that. I'd love to be wrong about some of them.
1: Hey, Hannah, are you Also more
0: paranoid. Now, just because you ain't paranoid, it don't mean they ain't out to get you. You know, the thing about paranoid people is the worst thing you can do is mock and marginalize them. And that's what the media seems fixated on doing. So you have to wonder, you know, are you really that worried about it or are they useful as people you can point to as being the enemy? He's also more religious. I've become more religious probably uh, over the past few years because I've seen more evil and I guess that's swung me around on that. And on a lower income than other voters, I'm undoubtedly on a lower income than some other voters, and a higher income than. So I guess that that speaks to the fact that a lot of New Zealand First supporters are uh, are older and retired. What do you reckon?
1: I did read this, and so what we did. So for people sort of going, what is Marty going on about? What we're going on about is a in the Sunday Star Times. What your vote says about you by Virginia Fallon. And she spoke to psychology professor Mark Wilson, has crunched some data. So what Marty has just described is essentially a profile that was created of what they believe a classic New Zealand first voter will look like. It responded to the politics and mental health state of the nation survey. Mm. I did, I did love those some of the. So the way she paraphrased some of these things because that so they opened with New Zealand first.
0: That's then why they, I started with it. Not not.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the, so the first profile they gave was uh, John from New Zealand first. Then they went to James. James is mm. uh, act according to Wilson the stereotypical ACT voter is a man less likely to be tattooed than the other parties. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if Bart something. I wonder if Bart's got a tattoo. Can you see? I can't see David having a tattoo. Can
0: you? Oh, anyway, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Let's, I mean,
1: not, let's take that vision out of people's heads. Born in New Zealand, James neither believes in spirituality nor religion, and he does not time travel or fly.
0: Yeah, that's, that's odd, isn't it? Very but odd. I mean, there is that kind of reductionist element to some of those pure... Milton Friedman types. It always brings me back to that Arthur Schopenhauer aphorism that any stupid boy can squash a bug, but all the most brilliant scientists in the world cannot build one. There's something intangible about what it takes to make a nation successful, and you can't get there just looking at the numbers.
1: No, you can't. And so they go on and they do give profiles for every single major party that does look like they're going to be in the tent. Look, to me, I found it slightly humorous, the whole thing. I think it was meant to be. But again, it's that underlying, there's always, and it's been there the entire time, the last, definitely the last six years, that underlying slight de- derision and dehumanization mm. of anybody that doesn't toe the line and doesn't march to the beat of exactly the same drum.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and the, the funny thing, you always get this with Kate, Kate Hannah, She talks about, and, and the word is, I know this because I've done a paper recently at uh, one of the hives, one of the wasps' nests of postmodernist bullshit studies. It's essentializing, And it was quite a good point, you know, if you sort of describe someone in a way that makes what they do as a part of their behaviour so she'll spend quite a lot of time moaning about her opponents doing that and then do it to them often worse mm. with the characterization of act it it says uh, it calls him james james is most likely to agree that success is based on survival of the fittest i am not concerned about the losers and 25% presumably of act voters thought that which you know is a minority but i think that's a kind of a mean way to phrase it, I think a, a better way is we believe in the Pareto distribution. So some people do win. Mm. Some trees and forests grow bigger than other trees. Some stars and galaxies are bigger than other stars, and it happens in a, in a very stable distribution. And it's the biggest argument against the obsession with equity. You can't get equity among children in a family.
1: Mm. That was something Casey Costello said in the interview that we talked about last week.
0: And and if you're fretting about some kid being less good at maths and another one, you're probably missing an opportunity to actually spend time finding out what he is or she is really good at. So, you know, I mean, there's terrible stories about that in, in school as well, where kids who are naturally gifted at maths are charged with teaching the kids who aren't maths. And so equity, who's next?
1: Jordan, our unisex Jordan.
0: Yeah, he's pretty bland, isn't he, old Jordan, as its own brand?
1: Yeah, Jordan is probably as, uh, you know, nature's fresh, fresh white toast one could get. I would have thought. <laughs> uh, so Jordan is, uh, Jordan, meet Jordan from National. Uh, Jordan is a great thing about uh, the name Jordan is that it's unisex. There you go. Oh. He is, however, less likely to be vegetarian or vegan and along with ACT voters, national supporters like Jordan are on an average salary of 70 000 to 80,000 per year, making them the richest of all.
0: Yeah, they, they, I couldn't quite work that out. Are they saying they're richer than ACT, your average ACT voter?
1: Yeah, I mean, but that's okay because national voters love their rugby more than anyone else and they don't really care if it's the All Blacks or the Black Ferns.
0: That explains oh. why Luxon did so many, yay, sports ball posts. Sports ball. Oh. Anywho. Now, worst is, of all.
1: So this is the interesting of. Now we've done the men. Now we've done the men. It's time to jump the gender fence to the women.
0: Meet Susan. Voting us into tyranny since.
1: So Susan is is from Labour and is most likely to support Joe Biden and tends to worry more about covering the, the cost of basics. She trusts traditional mainstream media and government health advice and joins national voters as the least paranoid.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing in that is she's most likely to support Joe Biden 82%.
1: Remember, that's qualified because she trusts mainstream media.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, this brings me back to my earlier somewhat controversial comment that you may or may not agree with, that the biggest threat to our freedom is stupid women who would trade our freedom for the illusion of safety and weak, pathetic men who would trade our freedom for the illusion that those stupid women might approve of them if they agree with their bullshit hard enough.
1: That is one way of phrasing it. Virginia phrased it slightly differently. She phrased it they're the most urban, most compassionate, they're the most trusting, and it's a weird paradox. Now, I look at that and it says they're the most compassionate and they're the most trusting. To me, that says they're the most foolish and the most gullible. Well,
0: that's what I've seen before.
1: I have saying before. I know. That's what I said. <laughs> Virginia paraphrased it slightly different to you. Oh dear, they're, they're more likely to be will, women than Labour voters. And I think part of the reason for Labour's slump in the past, and oh, and he thinks that that's part of the reason for their slump in the last few years. <laughs> Girls have taken over. Oh gosh, Mark, that's a. That's, uh...
0: Well, you know, the funny thing as well, they're the most compassionate. I'd like to pick that apart a little bit too. Is that compassionate by voting for other people's money to be given to other people? Or is it they're the most compassionate in that they actually roll their sleeves up, help, Mm. and reach into their own pockets? I always wonder that about Green MPs as well, who are saying, well, you know, we've got the wealth there. We just need to take it.
1: Well, speaking of that, you need to meet Christine, because Christine votes for the Greens. They're white, female, and more likely to be plant-based or apologetically omnivorous, ambivalent about rugby in general. but. They do like women's soccer.
0: Pretty comfortable that rural folk are being accurately portrayed and represented.
1: Yeah, I think I think the Groundswell movement would have something to say about that, just quietly.
0: I mean, it's funny they said they believe in anthropogenic climate change too, which is a bit different from saying that the other side don't believe in climate change. They didn't give them that out. They just sort of made them sound stupid by saying they didn't believe in climate change.
1: And then, of course, there were the to party Māori voters, but I, I want to jump to the end, which says, what unites us? Almost everyone disagrees on lowering the minimum wage. 88% of all voters are fine with premarital sex, and the same number are happy to accept humans evolved from simpler organisms. So they're essentially ruling out the those who have strong uh, religious beliefs. Also only nine percent think fluoride is bad for public health 5.6 percent disagree that climate change is happening and 11 percent disagree that women have been historically disadvantaged.
0: Yeah I didn't come prepared with this but there was a an American public health organization released after trying not to release it for a long time their report on on fluoride. Lo and behold, Their studies indicate that it does cause a lowering of IQ in young people. Again, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it doesn't really matter. But don't piss on me and tell me it's raining.
1: Mm, Exactly. So that is a rather intriguing little article that was certainly a different bent from the other elements that were going on in the paper. Marty and I had a conversation on Saturday when we were sort of watching some of this stuff. And I I actually had a a bit, I was a bit anxious, wasn't I, Pete? Mm, And I said to you, yeah, you did. You've got a paper
0: bag, Busky, right? Stick it over your face, (laughs) breathe in and out. Well, in my
1: case, actually, it was an audio book and knitting, but just that whole sort of the shift that happened, I just found to use a Star Wars reference. I felt like there was a disturbance in the force and Mm. And I didn't like it. And I think reflecting now, what I realized it was, was that movement in the campaign to start leveraging that tried and true strategy
0: and of using
1: of using fear mm. to get the population back in line. And I was triggered, essentially. I, I suddenly realized that that's what it was. It was because I was seeing that and it really did upset me quite a bit and you know I've reflected on it now across this week and I've now consumed a bit more media and, and feel, as I feel a little bit more robust and the good mate here helped uh, talk me off the cliff on Saturday and I am feeling a lot better about things and I just suddenly realized you know if you are feeling a little bit anxious and you've read all the stuff in the papers over the last four or five days and you're thinking whoa this just feels kind of strange and why are they saying all of these things and where is this fear coming from you know what guys don't get yourselves all wound up about it because you know who they're talking to i've just decided that they're actually trying to target and talk to those people that are still running around in their cars driving by themselves with their masks on that's who they're talking to they're not talking to us and once i realized that i felt better
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, it's. It, I don't never know which is more depressing: the fact that they use fear, or the fact that it works. Mm, you know, and it does work. That's yeah, why I, they do it. Yeah, especially on women because they're more um, sensitive to negative emotion. Because if you look at it from an evolutionary point of view, uh, the consequences for women of thinking something is a threat and being wrong are far less than the consequences of thinking something's not a threat. And being wrong. So they're much more open to. And as I've said before, there's been a weird thing happen where we've just been uh, had this menticide against us, you know, this breaking down of our minds through constant alarms going off. And so now, even if someone says to many people, hey, look, there is a genuine threat there, they're so desensitized. To that thing that humans, obviously, again, if we go back and what's allowed us to survive through all these generations, it's if someone say, Hey, hey, look over there. Oh, oh you kind of drop what you're doing and you get a good shot of adrenaline and uh, you get ready to fight or run. So, yeah, those systems have been burned out.
1: Yeah, it is. I think a lot of us are sort of spent. And, you know, to that end, I mean, we are now at the pointy end of the wedge. Mr. Marie and I are going off to vote tomorrow. I've now solidified my decision. It's taken a while (laughs) Mm. to the last week of the campaign. Uh, But I feel quite comfortable with the decision. And I think that was the other, that flight or um, fight response. And I think that's what was getting me done on Saturday, is it wasn't only the seeing that sort of shift in messaging from those key parties. And that actually really did help. Solidify my party vote, I have to say, because I was, you know, that oppositional was the oppositional
0: nature of yours. Uh,
1: my oppositional nature. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Ooh, right there, I'm going to do
0: tell now. me what to do. I'll do the opposite.
1: Exactly. And also, too, within the, um, the issues that are important to me. So on Vote Compass, when I did Vote Compass this time around, I do it every time. I literally, my dot and the act dot are practically on top of each other. And I have voted act for more than two decades in a party vote. Yeah. So I have been pretty consistent it's on that. What's coming score. up now? I don't know I'm gonna tell people now because it's this close. And so that's where I've always been. And my candidate vote is the one that will bounce around the scheme of things. And it's because I am I like to vote for the person. And I think people forget that you have two votes. One of the other things that really sort of upset me is that for me this year, even though still on vote compass, I sit on act there were some very key questions that were left out of Vote Compass, which were actually key issues to which I'm making my voting decision. And I think that was quite deliberate of them yeah. to do that because they didn't want to have people deviate away from those, those other mainstream parties. So those questions were not placed there. For me, those obviously those issues are around freedom and liberty issues. That, at traditionally have been the bastion of, but no longer, not to the same extent. So I have been really weighing up my options. I've had lots of the concerns around other parties, like many other people have. And I've been looking at all those other freedom parties because there's been lots of people that have pulled together. I've been interviewing Mm. them here. I've spoken to some really... Incredible people doing some amazing work, who are really dedicated, who share so many of the same views that I share.
0: Yeah, who'd be great to have in Parliament too. Who yeah. would
1: be wonderful to have in Parliament, but the reality of it is, and this is what this is what I was faced with on Saturday, knitting whilst I was knitting and listening to my audio book, is what I realised on Saturday when it came to my party vote. I had it was a simple decision. I am either happy with the status quo of what the status quo has been for the last three years, or I'm not. Yeah. And I'm not. And that only leaves me, realistically, on the party vote, a single option. And that is New Zealand first, not actually Winston Peters. It is New Zealand first. And when I interviewed Casey, Erica, and Kirsten last week, That, to me, really solidified that this party isn't based on a single man. This party is some incredible candidates. He's not going to be there forever. This, I think, is his last rodeo. He's wanting to go out and have the legacy of New Zealand history of being the first politician to lead a party across the 5% threshold without winning a candidacy seat. Mm. So then it's looking at that list see who see who's coming in behind him. And he has got some great people. So if you're happy with the status quo of what happened in the last three years and you really are a, someone who is a freedom-minded voter, you really only have one option. If you are someone that goes, no, I can't do that and I want to vote with my heart, well, that's okay. You can do that. It's your vote, darling. You do whatever you want, but do not complain when you have delivered back the status quo. Because ultimately your vote will get redistributed amongst who is there.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of magic in the strategies of some of those remaining minor parties, the Umbrella Party, Brian Tamaki's party. You know, he was he said, "Well, we believe in miracles." And uh, you know, Liz Gunn's talking about what she what she's feeling about the two million votes throughout there that she's um, calling the way some uh, Pacific Island tribes used to call in Wales. The issues that the minor parties have had, you know the, the, the ones, especially the ones that have been recently started, really revolve around a, a saying that I wish I'd internalized when I was younger, which is that people overestimate what they can achieve in the short term and underestimate what they can achieve in the, lo- in the long term. It's a bit like cooking cooking bacon busky, you know like it doesn't tr- transmit heat that well. So if you turn it up too high, you burn the outside of it, and the inside's undercooked. You know, you've got to, you've got to just do it low and slow. And mm. and I had a phone conversation with someone who's um, very involved with New Zealand loyal about two elections ago, and they were trying to get me interested in coming on a political adventure with them with their party that they were thinking of starting. My response was, look, you know, don't don't start a, a political party. Start a podcast. And that'll allow you to find out what the issues are, talk to people in an objective way, get yourself some sort of database. And so you'll really be on top of the issues. You'll find out who the good people are in each area and shoot for the election after this one coming or even the one after that. Because it is, I mean, you know, we've talked about this a lot. It, It always does. It saddens me a bit. Reality Check Radio has been portrayed as being some sort of mindless mouthpiece for Winston Peters in New Zealand first because you know I, I'd never voted for New Zealand first prior to this election you know I was very cynical about Winston Peters um, courage not always matching his convictions once he was in a you know, lion on the campaign trail and a lamb in Parliament. as you say those those people who are further up his list and on the brink of getting into Parliament they're who I'm voting for
1: mm, and I
0: know one of them personally.
1: Yeah, and Kirsten Murphy is is the classic example of that. You know, she is now on the cusp, based on the taxpayer union poll. She needs about another. Actually, I will get the number because I have it. Yeah. So Kirsten posted this a couple of days ago, based on twenty twenty voting. To get Kirsten across the line, she needs just over nine percent. Apparently, they're just shy of seven percent. What that means in actual votes, sixty three thousand votes. That's what she needs. So if you are somebody who who is wants a freedom campaigner in there or another freedom campaigner in there with the chops to be in Parliament representing the issues that are important to us. That's what we need to get somebody across the line like that. Now, I know that the New Zealand loyal people now, I can feel you're getting twitchy on your cell phones and you're going to be sending me a text. I know that. And you know what? I'm not discrediting your concerns or your belief in your party. What I'm saying is... You're not going to get in this time. It doesn't matter what your leader has said. The reality of it is, in the party vote, it is not going to happen, which is why we have two votes. Vote for your loyal candidate if that's your person that you want to vote for or your Democracy NZ or Tāmaki for Tāmaki if you're Vision New Zealand. You know, you've got that vote. Vote for that person so you can send a clear message to them that you support them, you see them, you agree with them.
0: Keep going.
1: Keep going, keep going and create it. But here's the reality. Loyal cannot be realistic to expect to turn up within weeks of an election and secure 2 million votes. As Cam calls it, that is huff and hopium, like nobody's business. It is not going to to matter. But you do have that second vote. You really do need to consider putting your vote where it's going to make a difference. And that is why that fair campaign is out there. That is why Labour, National Act are throwing everything that they can. and Yeah, the media party. And doing that because they can see that all of a sudden, the people they have been demonising and dehumanising for the last three years are finally going to get a voice. So you need Mm -hmm. to get over your big bag ego selves and if you want your voice, and you want to stop the status quo, you need to do the right thing, and you need to vote with your head and not your heart. Okay, Brento.
0: Yeah, good one. It's not just about freedom. What it is is, and I've said this on many, many occasions before, it's about having the discussion. I'm not saying we've got to get people in who believe uh, what we believe. My thing is we've got to have people in there who value actual discussion and think that the New Zealand public can be trusted to weigh up different points of view and arrive at a at a sane conclusion. And I know for a certainty that there's been information suppressed because it was not expedient for it to be publicized. I know for a fact that giving the media that full rack price advertising revenue, in addition to the Public Interest Journalism Fund, which came with all sorts of strings, has turned off an essential alarm that's required for democracy to function in a healthy way. And so we've got to get that open debate and discussion back. Before we get to what's right and what's wrong, that's a, the that's a gate, that's the waharoa we've got to get through. Mm,
1: so, it uh, is. it mm. is. It is. It is certainly a really important time. The interesting thing, too, that you and I both did is – there are some people. Whilst there's been the fear campaign going on, there are also there are some candidates out there, and these are in the main blocks that are starting to have some good information. And I know you both watched the uh, TV interview shows. I just watched one of them. I watched The Nation. Did you the head to head between Grant Robinson and Nicola Willis? I have to say, I, Willis was strong.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've I've always liked how forthright Nicola Willis is. And Grant Robertson, I mean, it's just, again, you know, I'm looking at those ladies who 89% think Joe Biden, you know, the corrupt, senile pedophile is doing a great job. He's talking to them and, and somehow... They can believe him. He's there, sort of saying, you know, he said to her in Nicola's fiscal plan, you could you could cut every comms person in and in advertising, and you still wouldn't get back to surplus. He's saying it like it's someone else's fault. I know, <laughs> rather than his own. It's it's kind of
1: the disconnect from him. It was kind. Of, he was literally trying to point out these supposed holes in Nicola's plan, and it's like, but Grant, you're the one that cut the cheese, dude
0: yeah he she said to him every spending goal he's he's set he is broken and he did look a bit sheepish it did look sheepish. a little bit sheepish but he he uh, pulled it back straight away and then sort of said you know your twenty billion dollar offshore buyer money will not li- will lift house prices and drive inflation and I mean that I'll use your word that brouhaha about the two hundred and fifty dollars a fortnight. It was just a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, Mm. okay. That's what some people get a bit less. You know, it's only 3,000 families that'll get that amount. Yeah, it's a curve. It's a curve. And then he said, it's not a Briscoe sale, Nicola. And I did think, oh, she does look a little bit like the Briscoe's lady. But it was really funny. She's saying, Are you saying I'm the Briscoes lady? That was probably one of my favourite parts of the selection.
1: I know, know. I, I laughed at that out loud too, because I'm in the day job, I've got a lot of customers that call me the Briscoes Lady of Yarns. So.
0: The Briscoes lady, she is lovely. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so nice. And you know, notice he's just trotting out that. we saved twenty thousand lives.
1: Oh, I heard that. I just so really, Grant. Are we still
0: using that line? If you hadn't done what you've done, are you saying that our excess death rate would be higher than what is it now? Is it ten or fourteen percent? It was a really good presentation I, I watched the other day with Dr. John Campbell's thing the other day, looking at excess deaths around the world. He's so good at just sticking to really good official data. But mm. yeah, he, New Zealand came up, we're 10%, we've been 40%. Mm. And it was, you know, in lockstep with when the uh, the old Safe and Effective was rolled out. So it's drawing a very long bow, and it's more cheek than a fat man kind of bare face to just say the that. The
1: reason I think he's saying it is that's about the only thing that he can cling on to as a party that they've supposedly achieved, and even then it's a gaslit lie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Guy and Espino, Darth Vance and Ruth uh, Richardson were on the panel discussion after that. I read her autobiography. She's pretty much the way you'd imagine her. She's just She's like New Zealand's Milton Friedman, old Ruth Richardson.
1: With the panel, I mean, Guyan was his usual sort of fence city self. But I loved Ruth. You know, Ruth, they, they were wafting around and she was like, no, you know, because she was getting back to the, the fiscal reality of where things are at, as an ex finance minister would. Yeah, and again, and what
0: Reform I, is needed. We need to it, grow the economy. Yeah. We're 157th out of 158 countries. Yeah, I don't know why Luxon doesn't talk about that more. Maybe he doesn't want to talk New Zealand down. I don't know. It seems pretty damning.
1: Yeah, I can and I can't remember who was it because I've read so many columns in the last little. But someone was moaning and opining about the fact that there was no one that was providing aspirational leadership, and it's like no, because all you guys, all anyone can talk about is other than the fact that New Zealand first, could, you know, are likely to get back in, is trying to just one-up one, one up each other in terms of ba- bagging each other. And again, I wonder, I do genuinely wonder, this is why the Greens have started sort of picking up a number of votes because they're picking up those Labour voters who they're getting sick of all of this and they are just banging out policy, their policy positions to very, very niche spaces. So they're hitting the university campuses, they're hitting...
0: innumerate almost- people. All those places. Who can't do maths. People who haven't read history and understand where Marxism always leads when it's implemented. Those
1: who prefer feeling over knowing. I think that's a more pl- political way of calling it. But they—that's where they've been targeting. And it is, yeah, it is just—it is just insane because we are now at this point, and as you said, there is plenty of clear points that Christopher Luxon could be making. Now, I say this, he did have a very solid two hours with Mike Hoskins on Monday. He did sound more like a leader, but this is the problem. I mean, he he will sound like prime ministerial and then he'll go off on one of these tangents, you know, and I just wonder, is that as an experience or, because honestly, this entire tangent of we we may have a second election, really? Really?
0: Hasn't happened in in 27 years of MMP. Yeah.
1: Now, speaking of second elections, the tragic story this week of the sudden passing of Neil Christensen, the act candidate for Port Waikato.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Which is utterly Devastating for his family Uh, at this time. I'm not sure how old he was, but he was an avian specialist veterinarian, so he was a very qualified chap. One of the little quirks that threw up that I wasn't aware of until yesterday was what the implication of his passing means after writ day and after voting has actually started. Do you realise we're now going to have 121 seats in Parliament, not 120?
0: I'm, I'm still getting my head around it. So, how does that work?
1: So, I checked with Yoda because one must check all these political things with Yoda. Yes. So, I did check with Slater the Cam. And he. You must not. This is a very simplified version of essentially what is happening because votes have already started to be cast, right? All the party votes that have been cast count. And what they do is they will count in that Port Waikato seat and they will count whoever wins the party vote in that seat will win the seat for that party. Mm. Then the candidate votes, that will be done again as a by-election because they can't take any of the votes because obviously the voting had opened and Neil has passed in that time. A by-election will be held and then the candidate for Port Waikato will be selected at the by-election and they need to seat 120 people in Parliament after voting is concluded. So that's the very simplified version and I know those who are more politically inept Wrong. will say all these, all these different nuances, but that's the simplified version of what will happen. So the part, if you live in Port Waikato, your party vote very much will count uh, this time round and then there will be a by-election to select your candidate. Mm. So that sort of throws another little wrinkle into the mix because it then means that potentially one of those main uh, main blocks will get an additional seat, that uh, a bonus seat, like the bonus ball and lotto, that they didn't know that they were going to get. So again, it then means that if you want to avoid the status quo, that party vote is going to be even more
0: important. Yeah, did you see Kate Hannah at the end of The Nation?
1: No mm. show without
0: punch. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, she's talking about violent, vulgar discourse.
1: Oh, um, I read the article on that, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's just people scared they'll lose as Maori r- reclaim their rightful place. And then old Cuddles Costa got on and um, talked about the anger in the country and the violent rhetoric being driven by social media.
1: In the article, there was there was no detail. Like, it was all based on the vibe of the thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he's sort of saying, yeah, it's because of social media. It's like, you don't think it's what your chums have been doing over the past three years that's made people feel powerless and angry. And then, yeah, Q&A uh, the next day. There was a, um interview with the Federated Farmers President, Tim Hurdle. He came across really well. Really impressive guy. You know, he's sort of still um, talking about how Groundswell's mainly driven by two guys who um, have got pretty definite ideas, whereas he uh, has to deal with the membership that comes out of all of these different districts and is its own. So he's, you know, not able to take strong positions on things. Yeah, it was a really strong interview by him. He was really good at just sticking to the issue, saying, oh, you know, we need one calculator for emissions rather than eleven and nitrogen accounting.
1: See, I'd love to hear someone say we don't need a calculator for it at all.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would too. Had Sue Bradford on there as well. Oh, God. Yeah. Just she's the same old male. I was just
1: know. gonna say she's red as she ever was.
0: Yeah. You can actually um sound like Sue just by grabbing your bottom lip. It's dog whistling. The left trying to build a caring, compassionate nation, but something's going wrong with the mood of the nation. Yeah, people are disappointed with both National Labor Greens are going great, so I know. That's, that's their target market, I guess. White ladies who like communism. Yeah, she described the left as compassionate and kind, and the right as racist and divisive. Oh and gosh, rolling out those stereotypes. The devil speaking. Was one phrase she used to describe something that people on the right were saying. But yeah, she's taken as a serious commentator. We haven't really covered, like, I mean, I moaned at the outset, we, we sort of had just read the same article written by different people. So we haven't really covered that much of it, have we?
1: Yeah, but they, it, well, I mean, we can, but essentially they the themes were don't trust New Zealand first, or don't trust Winston, actually, not necessarily New Zealand first, don't trust Winston, there could be a second election, and Christopher Luxon bought this on himself by not ruling Winston out at the beginning. Have I missed yeah, anything? That's pretty much it. It's like in a band, and they were all playing the same four chords, but with a slightly different tune. It was There wasn't really anything there. A couple of other little stories that caught my eye. One was Barry Soper, and I didn't realise that he'd had a little, I mean, we all know that he'd been in surgery for his for his tucker and and, and he had a party a
0: couple of weeks after a surgery
1: yeah 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 so um gosh you know wishing berry well because we do need more berries yeah He's a fairly solid voice in the New Zealand media landscape, and I don't know about you, but I'm not prepared to see Barry leave us just yet. So I'm glad to hear that he's back home with Heather and and again. Of
0: course not. It's worth taking a moment to say, for all that we are giving all of these uh, journalists and politicians stick, it's not personal. It's just some of the funny ideas you have, and I guess some of the funny things you have to say because uh, you want to keep your job.
1: On the kudos front, someone that we have given a little bit of stick for and he's noticed has been Charlie, Charlie Mitchell from Stuff. And Charlie, Charlie, you wrote a piece in the Post and I think it also appeared in the press. It was a damn fine piece of journalism, Charlie. Thank you. And the piece was called... I mean, it is part of the overall theme, but it's probably of the theme, the best of them. It's called An Awakening, How the Freedom Movement Found Its Man in Winston Peters. Now, do you know what the first thing I want to say to you, Charlie, is that you didn't call us the so-called Freedom Movement. You called us the Freedom Movement. So thank you, Charlie. Uh, And I do know that this is online. It talks about, it actually just gives a, a nice little timeline of, for those people who aren't necessarily in the freedom movement. They're trying to figure out how this has all come about with New Zealand First. He gives a good little timeline on that. He talks about some of the people that uh, that have have gotten involved and gotten behind them. And actually there was a second, he mentions in here that the third party influences, and there was another entire article around third party influences and what they're spending, which in, in this country I think is the closest you can get to sort of, Lobbying group. So a third party, a really good example of third party influencer would be Bob Macrosskey from Family First, would be a great example. The trade unions get in. So the CTU and Air Two, they they are. Reg- and I think you've got to register now. Who else? Um, Taxpayers Union. They yeah. are certainly. You know what
0: pissed me off about that is they kind of which expected to take these influencers. Oh, they're putting up a few billboards. And they never really kind of confront the support you can buy or the, the direction you can change if you're borrowing $100 billion and then just <laughs> spraying it around to your little in-crowds
1: so this article from Charlie I'm just going to read the final few paragraphs because I think it sums it up beautifully one of the people he highlights in here is Gary Moller and Gary is a regular guest with Paul over on Breakfast so do check that out on the app just pop Gary Moller in and all his interviews with Paul will pop up but in the end, it says here that in the dying stages of the campaign, it is clear which of the three early options won out. The new parties such as Democracy New Zealand, New Zealand Loyal, have failed to amass support as has the Umbrella Party of Freedoms New Zealand. There is now widespread support within the freedom movement for New Zealand First first recognising both its political offerings and its position to exercise raw political power. In a recent post, Gary Moller encouraged others to join New Zealand First and influence the party from within. When you become the party, it becomes you. Our adversaries have been effective in sowing division across New Zealand, including within the freedom movement, but we won't let them triumph, he wrote. It's time for us to unite and stand together as one, our pa- our power lies in combining our votes and throwing our support behind a single party that is past the five percent threshold, and that party is New Zealand first. Well said Gary Muller.
0: Mm. You yeah, know, there, there were a few articles now. I think about it in Sunday Star Times, I I they they did kind of a few perspectives on different voter blocks. And one was mm. they talked to a twenty-one-year-old woman, Tekahuka. Koka Rose Harawira Yelash. Sounds like she's from Northland.
1: But well, with Harawira Yelash, I think that's a fairly safe bet, <laughs>
0: yeah. just quietly. I'm just making assumptions, but I think I might be right. Yeah, who has whakapapa to the far north and Whanganui? She's on a job seeker benefit. And why, the reason that this one jumped out at me was it provided an interesting insight into the mindset that a lot of young Māori have that is very dangerous, I think, and very disempowering to them. And it's cynically fostered by people who uh, want money and power. And this is what she said. The government does not want us to become successful. I know I sound crazy right now, but they want us to struggle to make them richer. She said the people at the top, the politicians running the system, have helped create many of what she deems to be racist attitudes in some part of society. People need to realise that if they wipe the treaty, they wipe us. We will no longer be able to be in our own country because we will have no rights. all <coughs> the lines of Waititi's uh, democracy is is tyranny of the majority. And and you know she's right when she says some of that. But rather than the government does not want us to become successful, I would uh, I would say. A lot of Maori leaders might feel that way. They don't want the tutua to become successful and well-educated and able to critically analyse it.
1: And here's Um, the thing. She is the one who's the bastion and the guardian of her success, not the government. Yeah. That is the lie that the young have been sold.
0: It's shocking. It's shocking. The other one was... This is right up your alley, uh, Marie. The rainbow issues. So yeah, Tabby Besley is the director of Inside Out, a charity focused on rainbow rangatahi. Inside Out are the people who are sending folks into primary schools and secondary schools to teach children that maybe they're a girl and and they've just been born in the wrong body. And uh, they openly state that their patron saint, if you like, is... uh, Dr. John Money, who's from the University of Victoria, Victoria University, who conducted all sorts of dubious experiments, most notably on a pair of twins, which by uh, any measurement were a failure, but he was able to go around claiming they were a great success. And he developed words like gender roles. And so, yeah, if you if you go back to look at where the taproot of all of this hysteria goes, it often goes uh, back to... Uh, Pedophile academics. So yeah, she's sort of moaning about the danger of, uh, like everyone else, the danger of New Zealand first. She's worried about a bill in America that would that would ban gender affirming care for minors. Now, what gender affirming care means is taking minors and uh, putting them on puberty blockers and or surgery, and it's given that sort of sweet gender affirming Th- those two things and just that. Yeah.
1: And of course, you know, I mean, if people are concerned about those gender issues. I have done a plethora of interviews around this topic, as many may know. Mm. And Helen Houghton, bless her heart, is probably one of the biggest advocates in this space in New Zealand. And after the election, she'll continue to advocate in this space. So is Diane And now, uh, speaking out
0: week. against the creepy interest that academics have in the sexual sexuality of other people's children.
1: So, in reference to that article in the piece with. Kirsten that I did last week speaking to the ladies from New Zealand first I thought Kirsten had a really great explanation, she had somebody I think it was from Inside Out at one of her meetings and Mm -hmm. they were trying to sort of heckle so she went to speak to them afterwards and as she said by their own admission 0.8% of people identify in that space she has a very disabled child and they represent people with disabilities in New Zealand
0: 5% did she say? It's, oh, it was more. Signif-
1: significantly higher. Yeah. And she said, where, where are the rights for my child? Where well, is the month-long celebration for my child?
0: Where's the trans story time in old people's homes and hospitals? It, it seems to be mostly uh, focused on taking trans story time to children. But uh, this article also quoted national leader Christopher Lux and said New Zealand First's approach to, to worrying about transgender people using women's bathrooms was On Another Planet, which I think was quite tone-deaf. Not as tone-deaf as the uh, Beehive Diaries that had that story about him going into an old people's home and talking about raising the uh, age of...
1: It was so funny. That was my big laugh out loud moment this week.
0: Yeah. Uh, Luxon's, so went into an old people's home talking about... The raising, uh, raising of the
1: retirement age.
0: Yeah, raising the retirement age. Luxon noted it would not come into effect until 2044. He added that with all due respect, he thought it would be unlikely they would be around to see it. Our journalist on the scene, deputy political editor Thomas Um Coughlin, reported Luxon's joke about their mortality went down as you might expect it
1: to. <laughs> <laughs> like a cup of gold, so it Yeah. Oh I did have a good laugh out loud moment on, on that yeah well we've covered a lot of ground this morning really only on the politi- political political well, level
0: around in circles a long distance uh, on the same ground maybe
1: I know and I apologize to listeners I don't get ranty very often but I have been a little bit ranty today. any other anything else you want to cover off?
0: No just you know get in there and mm. vote vote for whoever you want to. It's easy to get a bit of imposter syndrome doing this sort of stuff when talking on a radio show or whatever. And you just do have that voice in your head saying, What the hell do you know? Why should anyone listen to you? And I I hope that that comes across.
1: And this is a political lottery, and you can only be in the lottery if you've bought a ticket. So you do need to go out and vote. That's the most important thing. A couple of good news fronts. And since, you know, On the sports ball, I'm not going to talk about any of the sports ball stuff that's gone on because I'm just not interested, to be fair. But I have to say, Bathurst, Shane Van Gisbergen and uh, Richie Stanaway, first New Zealand duo to win it for quite some time. So that, that, you know, for the kids out there. Yeah, and more than that, um, I only noticed, look, to be fair, I only picked this up because she's the same name as my son, but Louis Sharp, he just won the F4 Championship um, up in the Northern Hemisphere as well, another Kiwi. So there you go
0: well
1: done well done so congratulations to all of those and and again if you'd like to send us any, oh we do have some feedback quickly we'll do some feedback so if you want to send us some feedback and after today's show you might after you know because i've been a bit ranty so (laughs) so do send it if you're somebody a little bit
0: paranoid what else are we
1: 2057 is the text number inbox realitycheck.radio is the email from john we love john We love John. John, Marie and Marty, you really complement each other. I love them. Marty's wit and profound descriptions of many things light me up. Bloody good listening.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's show, John. I hope you
1: have enjoyed today's show, John. Oh, and this one here. Uh, Hi, Marie. Appreciate your interviews. Excellent election coverage in general. Many thanks to you and all the RCR team. That one's from Peter. Hi, Marie, just love listening to you and Marty. You fill me with such joy. You both seem to enjoy yourselves. Thank you very much. And that's from the text machine. So there's some nice to um, have some good feedback in there. Hey, and before we go to, don't forget the election night party. Are you coming along to that?
0: Yeah.
1: Zoom in. Yeah, I'll be there. Yep, so if you want to check that out, uh, if you're a Foundation Members Club, it's easy. We're going to send you an email uh, invitation. It's for free. Uh, there is a nominal fee. If you're not, it starts at around 6-ish, goes through to about sort of 10, 45, 11 o'clock. And uh, I'll be in and out. I've got a, a function on at my place, uh, so they'll be dropping in and out. And we've got the…
0: By function, do you mean party? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean party. So it does sound quite sophisticated. Really,
1: oh, so. I did talk to Dixie. She did say to me today, she said, Marie, would you like to, to go and I I said, Oh no, anytime. And then I suddenly thought, maybe earlier in the night before one's had too many winesies, but could be more animated later on. That's uh the so th- so, yes, yeah, so we'll be zooming in and out. But the best part is we've got Paul as being joined by Morris Williamson uh, for the first part of the show, and then it is going to be picked up by Rodney and Natalie Cutler Welsh, Rodney Hyde, and Natalie Cutler Welsh for the second half anchoring. And they'll be bouncing into the likes of myself, you, Cam, a whole bunch. So it should be just a bit of fun if you want a little bit of alternative, alternative political coverage for the election. Uh, do go and check that out. It should awesome. be good. Right, I think think that's us for another week. Next week will be the post-mortem, so we will have, I'm sure, a lot to talk about uh, the post-mortem from the election next week here on Media Matters. Thank you again, as always, my friend.
0: Thanks, Marie. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Coming up, Woke News of the Week here on Reality Check Radio, and you're with Counterculture. You're
0: listening to Counterculture on RCR. (laughs) Reality Check Radio. Radio.